everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, the founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to my new podcast, Coach Plus, the art and science of positive psychology coaching. I'll be chatting to both academics and practitioners who are working in the evolving field of positive psychology coaching. We'll be looking at the interplay between the complementary fields of positive psychology and coaching psychology within an evidence-based coaching context. I'm hoping to equip practitioners with both knowledge and skills, and most importantly, have a positive impact on their way of being as positive psychology coaches. Today, we're speaking with Professor Alona Bonniwell. Ilona is one of the European leaders in positive psychology, studying, researching, teaching and implementing positive psychology for over 20 years, working as an academic, but also as a consultant with private companies, education, higher education and governmental institutions. She was the original founder and the head of the first master's degree in applied positive psychology in Europe at the University of East London. Nowadays, she is a full professor of positive psychology and coaching psychology at University of East London, co-directs the International MSc in Applied Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology, and a PhD program in positive psychology at UEL. Alona founded and was the first chair of the European Network of Positive Psychology and was subsequently the member of its steering committee for many years. She was the first vice chair of the International Positive Psychology Association and has continued as a member of its board of directors since 2007. Ilona has authored, co-authored and co-edited 12 books within the discipline of positive psychology, including Positive Psychology in a Nutshell, one of my favorites, co-author of The Happiness Equation. And she also, amongst many other publications, has co-edited the more recent text, positive psychology coaching in the workplace. Welcome, Alona. Thanks so much for speaking with me today. Hello, Susie. It's a delight as always. Really, really happy to be here with you. Absolutely. And we we fairly recently had the opportunity to work together on co-editing our book, Positive Psychology Coaching in the Workplace, which I have to say was a delight to work with you over that period. It was a lot of work, but it was a delight to work with you. It was a lot of work. I think Actually, it is a really good book. So result, I think, is great. So everybody is really excited about it. Lots of our students are using it at the moment. So thank you for this wonderful project. Yes, no, it's wonderful. I'm hearing, getting great feedback as well. But uh, it'd be really helpful if we started off hearing a little bit about your story and your journey into positive psychology. Now, I came into the field fairly early on like you and you were certainly a name that I was aware of very early on and uh, I didn't get an opportunity to meet you for a little while but I certainly knew about you and then yeah we've, I've come to get to know you a, a little bit more over time which has just been delightful but would you mind sharing a little bit about your journey Alona? Well my journey started really quite early on in 1999 and psychologists you know started in 1998 and yes. how it started I was still an undergrad student at the time of psychology and I was pretty active all my life anyway and as an undergrad student I was running a series of conferences for undergraduate students as part of the British Psychological Society so I was the conference officer of the student members group something like that so in 1999, I asked my student committee what they thought the topic of the, my first conference in 2000 should be. And one of the members 
called Alex Linley at the time. Aha, uh-huh, we know Alex who very was, well. Who was the chair? Who was the chair of that student group? He said, "Why not positive psychology?" So I went, "What's positive psychology?" He said, "Oh, that's the science of happiness and well-being and human flourishing." <laughs> and I had my famous light bulb moment. Right. Think, wow, that exists. Yes. And this is actually what I want to be working on and yeah. doing for the rest of my life. So I did organize that conference in, in 2000. I did also organize another student conference in 2001, by which time I already finished my undergraduate degree. I was working as a clinical psychology assistant, going into clinical training or preparing to go into clinical training. And so in 2001, I ran this conference yet again as part of the huge British Psychological Society conference, centenary conference at the time. And during the whole day of my conference, I had somebody, it's like a guy, kind of mature sort of person, being there for the whole day. And I wanted to come and ask him, like, what was he doing there? Was he a mature mm-hmm. student? Why was he at the student conference? He was kind of curious and interested, etc. Luckily, I didn't, because at the end of the day, he came over to me, said, hello. I'm Martin Seligman. Right. Would you like to have a coffee with me? <laughs> so you you didn't know who he was at the time. <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know who he was, but yes. you know, 2000, yeah, 2001, yes. still pre-Google, pre-LinkedIn, pre-when you know all faces of everybody. Yes. So, well, so we had a coffee. So it was my second year running of oh, a student wow. conference. The reason Martin Seligman ended up in my conference is because he came as the main closing keynote for the British Psychological Society Centenary right. Conference. Right. The committee tried to say that they have heard about positive psychology and somebody remembered that last year I ran a conference right. on the topic. So they sent him over to me even though my conference was not really on positive psychology that year, but still with some positive psychology additions, in fact, right. interestingly enough. because Anyway, so I ended up with Martin Seligman in my sessions. I ended up having that coffee with, me, with him. I was hugely excited about positive psychology already at the wow. time, even though still working on clinical psychology pathway. And then we sat down and had a coffee, and he said, he asked me this lovely question. He said, what can I do to help you start the positive psychology movement in Europe. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And that was one of those questions that changed your life. Yes. And it did change my life. And it kind of, the arrow went from impossible to possible somehow with this one question. Because I always wanted already to study positive psychology, become positive psychologist, but there were no positive psychologists around right at that moment. Not at that time. There were no master's programs. There was nothing. The only way to become a positive psychologist at the time was to do a PhD in the area of positive psychology. Right. At the time, I didn't want to do a PhD because I wanted to do something practical and concrete and applied. So I resisted first doing a PhD. I really resisted. I thought, no, I'll go into practical applied college training, etc. But him asking that question, in fact, just really went, helped me to go into this possible direction. And I thought, no, I want to be a psychologist. This is what I want to be doing with my life. And it is possible to become a political psychologist. And yes, I will do a PhD. And by the way, of course, I went to Martin Seligman. Yes, well, we can create the European Committee of Political Psychologists. 
it's like, she said, yeah, good idea. We can create a series of European congresses. She said, yeah, very good idea. We can do, anyway, so I had no lack of ideas. I mean, I never do, anyway. He, he knew you were the right person, Alona. <laughs> so, so I just gave him about 10 answers, and that was it. And that was it. From that point on, he did help. I mean, the whole um, sort of, uh, European, I would say, movement was very much helped to begin with by a little bit of investment and a bit of funding and a bit right. of organization from America at that point. And so, yes, the European network was born this way. And next year, in 2002, I was already running the first European conference on positive psychology in Winchester, where 200 people turned up being really, really excited about the field. And that was the beginning of the whole European stream. Amazing, amazing. So that was the beginning. And so I did go and do the PhD in positive psychology on a topic I was really passionate about. And I did end up being mentored, I would say, by Martin Seligman and then invited to different summer institutes in positive psychology in California, invited then every year to the Gallup Positive Psychology Summit. And that was my own study and learning about positive psychology field. And by the time I finished in 2006, I believe, I did something else a bit unusual. I wrote to five different heads of department in England, and I said, listen, would somebody like to start a master's program in positive psychology? <laughs> if you do, I can do it for you. Out of those five letters that I wrote, two people responded. Yeah. The first was my first job at Oxford Brookes University, working on the coaching and mentoring. Oh, I masters. didn't know that. Oh, there you go. Okay. And the second was a response from the University of East London. Right. Where I ended up working six months later, where I walked into the job in 2006 with complete possibility of creating masters, which is what I did. I've created the masters in positive psychology. So that was the the second map program after UPenn, but the first and the first European. Um, exactly. That was the second map after Japan, the first European. I was still extremely young, I would say. I mean, quite young. I was something like 30 years old. Wow. And quite young. I was still pretty inexperienced as academic. And so I was completely shocked to see <laughs> that when I finally validated this program in December and had something like a month to advertise in January, I had 15 people sitting in front of me. Amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> and it's clearly evolved over time. And I think, you know, given that this podcast is around the art and science of positive psychology coaching, which for both you and me is looking at the combination or the integration of these two complementary fields, I yes. was just delighted when I found out that you. I mean, I didn't even know about the Oxford Brooks experience, but when Steve, my colleague, Professor Stephen Palmer, had said to me, I think I was visiting in London, you really need to be talking to Alona. So, yeah, I, I was delighted when I found a positive psychologist, particularly someone that was as well known as you, that actually understood coaching psychology. Because mm. even today, Alona, I still find that, well, and I know, you know, the late great Tony Grant also felt that it had never been fully acknowledged uh, within the field of positive psychology. So it's been delightful to find someone like you that that understands it and supports it. Thank you. And I was really passionate about coaching from the very beginning as well. Yes. So I did study. I, I passed my own qualifications in coaching while studying for PhD. 
<laughs> and the reason I did so, that was the very subconscious decision, is for me coaching always represented the practical, the applied arm of positive psychology. Uh, coaching always represented that possibility to test in the real world all of those theories and translate all the theories and discoveries into something real. So as I already mentioned, I was always very, very passionate about applying positive psychology, basically the applied part yes. of positive psychology, which is why I was originally reluctant to do a PhD. By the way, I never regretted that because right. uh, <laughs> one of my first top strengths is love of learning. So I absolutely love doing a PhD. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was not a problem at all. It's something I really, really enjoyed. But I was still always really passionate about bringing all this knowledge into the real world, which is why coaching really was the first and most obvious response of the how-to, of the bridge between positive psychology and the real world. So which is why in my own career, positive psychology and coaching both went hand in hand from the very beginning. Yes. And I am starting to see, particularly in positive education, as I know you've got quite an extensive background in as well, for many years, clients that I would speak to didn't realize that coaching had anything to do with positive education. And, you know, finally now, we've been fortunate to work with Geelong Grammar last year and this year. And after, as you know, they were the first school with Marty. And after you know, 10 or so years, they're finally acknowledging the impact that taking a coaching approach and building a coaching culture can have to support all the wonderful work that they've already been doing in there. Absolutely. Because if you just stay with positive psychology or positive education approaches, fundamentally, we're still staying in the mode of transmission, which is a training mode of transmission. Yes, that's right. And training can only go so far without coaching. Exactly. <laughs> because if if we want our participants, our clients to actually integrate the learning that is coming from the training transfer, coaching is absolutely essential because this is what enables them to select their own objectives, their own goals, to create the links between the knowledge they've been acquiring in one way or another and their own life and their own behavior. And this is what is going to enable them to make more permanent changes. So without coaching nowadays, actually, in most of our training programs, we tend to integrate mm. at least a couple of coaching sessions for participants to enable that transfer of information to their lives. We're completely aligned. Yeah, for me, it helps, as you said, personalize and contextualize the learning. Um, and we know the stats on learning retention and transfer of training is pretty low. So it's very, very low. Yes. Yeah. So the the program at UEL has evolved over time. And I know you 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 perhaps left for a little while, but you're back now, aren't you, as professor of psychology and uh, co-director of the MAP program and the PhD program. Love to hear a bit more because Clearly, it was the first MAP CP in the world as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love to hear about where things are at. And of course, I'm very honoured to say I'm an honorary professor on the uh, program as well. You are. <laughs> Which is uh, so, because it's my sweet mm. spot. So it was just like, oh my goodness, this is the perfect place for me to be working, actually. It is, absolutely. We are delighted to have you on the program and contributing to the teaching and uh, obviously research. 
of our positive psychology team. So yes, the original master's was just master's in positive psychology, master's in applied positive psychology, established in 2006 with the first promotion and cohort starting in 2007. Then I did leave university, I think, I believe, in 2012. And consequently, the program has become the first MAPCP, the integration between master's in positive psychology and coaching psychology. And that was something that was created by Professor Annette Tonario and then subsequently Andrea Geraldes Hayes. And then I have come back to the program in 2021. And the reason I did is because uh, we have realized that the field of positive psychology has developed yet again yes, much, right. much further and has become much more differentiated with a lot of both theoretical and practical aspects contributing to different pathways. So what we have done again, we have revalidated the program. And so the new program is starting, sort of new upgraded, updated programs are starting now in September. So we have revalidated the program into five different pathways using the combination of 12 modules. And the pathways are much more aligned with professional journeys of our participants, because some of them are coaches and will remain coaches, of course. So the MAPCP is always there as the kind of front runner, I would say. But then there are four additional possibilities of exits from the program. So it, it's also Masters in Applied Positive Psychology and Positive Education. Wonderful. Yeah. Why? Because some of the people coming in the program are teachers or want to be teaching positive education uh, or potentially training other teachers, etc. Then another extension is map positive organizations and leadership. Then another extension is uh, masters in positive psychology and positive society. Oh, I love so, that. And the final extension is Masters in Applied Positive Psychology, which enables somebody to select all the different trajectories that should decide what it is they would like to be studying and kind of create their own program. Mm. So there we go. It's a four named pathways or one general Masters in Positive Psychology sort of general pathway, which allows people to select how they would like to study. And so for each of the different pathways, of course, they can also mix and match. So they can bring, for example, study positive psychology and coaching psychology and bring one of the modules from positive organizations if they are really studying towards executive coaching or bring one of the modules, a selected module from positive education if they're thinking of applying positive psychology coaching in schools, for example, etc. So there is a bit of a mix and match between different modules enabling people to really create their new professional identity and shape it. And there is another, I would say there are two other major improvements on the program, and that fundamentally this has become a flipped learning program, flipped yes. classroom program, in which we have recorded wonderful people, such as yourself, for example, <laughs> <Thank> okay. you. <laughs> wonderful lecturers in terms of their knowledge and contribution to the field. So this is something students can watch in their own time. And when they get together, this is much more about the integration of learning Love and that. doing all those coaching exercises and group exercises and actually discussions and debates to bring it to life and make sense of all this knowledge and learning through discussion and through experiential learning as well. So that's another really important improvement. And finally, we have now progressed from a research dissertation to something called major project, which enables people to choose between either doing research project if they want to do so, using qualitative or quantitative research, or they can do now 
a capstone project, create an artifact, for example, a program, test something very different, etc. Or they can do a placement project. If they ah. want to go and try working in the field of positive psychology and write a report about it. So again, there's much more choice as to how stuff they finish and integrate all their learning into something that's meaningful to them. So a bit of improvement. It's fabulous, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? The flexibility. And of course, this can be done virtually as a distance ed. Absolutely. Yeah, because um, I know I've certainly recommend the original MAPCP to many students here in Australia as well, and uh, yes. a number of successful graduates that you know that were based here in Australia. Yeah, um, actually, one of our one of our associates she actually moved over there to do it because she wanted to do it in person. So that's still an option to do that. It's still an option. They can do it virtually. They can do it basically online completely, or they can do it face to face. So these are both options. And I've also noticed a lot of publications coming out. And is that because the students do have that opportunity to do the the capstone or the research project? Um, the publications yeah. are coming out of that potentially? or Yeah, they didn't have the opportunity to do a capstone project yet. Right. But the publications are coming out because of the of another, I would say, innovation that I created before I left <laughs> in 2012 because we did ask students not to submit a dissertation, a final dissertation, but to submit a publishable paper. Right. So all their current research, <laughs> in fact, is submitted as a paper. And Such so there idea. is a really good base then to take these papers forward and to submit them for publication, if that is a good paper and it's already well written. It actually, it takes very little to take it to the next stage and really submit it to a journal. Yeah, there's so many rich opportunities for the students to be inspired yeah. by their learning and then actually write a paper and contribute yeah. to the ev- evolution of this field. Yeah. So I know when yeah. I was just recently in London recording my mini modules and I did a fair bit of you know, preparation, particularly on the plane on the way over, there were so <laughs> many papers that I was quoting that have come out of UEL, which was just so wonderful to see. Absolutely. And it was a small tweak to the program design. Yes. Uh, I think it was done about, yes, around 2011, 2012. That really made a huge difference because it's difficult to take your 10,000 word dissertation and submit it as a paper. However, if it's been written up as a paper already following Art. the journal <laughs> guidelines and the journal standards, it's really easy to integrate the comments of your supervisors and then submit it afterwards as a paper. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's such a good idea. And what about your own current research interests? Clearly, you love the tangible tool, the, the practical application. I do, I do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, that's one of my main passions is actually yes. development, validation development of so-called tangible tools using different cards and different processes and different games, etc. But not only necessarily tools in terms of cards, for example, that I do develop, but also tools such as using Lego Series Play in positive psychology training and coaching, which I absolutely love. And I have actually taken part in some of the research on the efficacy of uh, Lego Series Play as well. But yes, um, my other research interests include time and specifically perceived time use and time perspective. And this is something which I originally did for my PhD, perceived time use factors that contribute to satisfaction with time use, relationship between time use, well-being and other measures of well-functioning, etc. But also another area of research here is time perspective, drawing very much on Zimbardo's 
conception of time perspective. And some of our recent research has actually linked both balanced time perspective with better and basically perceived time use. So what we do know that people who do develop or manage to develop a more balanced time perspective, stuff, which is our capacity to shift between the temporal zones, cognitive temporal zones of the past, present and future flexibly, depending on the situational demands, these people also use their time better and globally uh-huh. are far more satisfied with their time. And we do also know that the satisfaction with time use overall very much contributes to our overall well-being. So that's another one of my research interests, and it's always there and still stayed there for many, many years. And then other research interests would include very much applications of positive psychology, either within positive education. So here I've been working quite a lot on the development and validation of different educational programs and also the applications of positive psychology to the world of organizations. And here I've been working recently on the validation of something called positive organizational profile, a very comprehensive tool that enables us to survey the emotional energy of an enterprise, cognitive and basically cognitive measures of uh, well-being and well-functioning to work. At the same time, look into predictor variables, what it is that predicts well-being engagement in this particular group of people, working on each and different predictor variables and being able to measure and pinpoint very specifically as to what are the main contributors to the current level of well-being engagement of a company and what are the specific interventions we can then put into place to address the areas that are working not quite as well and also to celebrate the areas which are working pretty well for this particular organization. So that's another area of my research and our recent publications about that and We have collected quite a lot of data working with this instrument uh, with the government of the Emirates because the government of of the United Emirates has actually adopted the positive organizational profile for use with all their public workforce, 40,000 people. Incredible every couple of years who get measured. So we have a lot of data, a lot of interesting data on the public sector, on, on the public sphere, on the private sector as well, comparison between public and private, trends in organizational well-being and engagement over the years of COVID as well, specific predictors. And so this is some of our next papers coming up. And will that be a tool that's available to practitioners to utilize yet or not just yet? Absolutely. This tool is almost ready for practitioners to utilize in terms of, obviously, we are already using it very actively. At the moment, we are finalizing the translation of this tool to numerical format, easy to use numerical format with a very comprehensive report being delivered for the practitioners that the practitioners can then adapt adjust and bring it back to their own clients to help them to choose appropriate interventions. Because, of course, what's happening at the moment, very often we, I would say, practitioners of positive psychology bring the solutions without necessarily having the capacity to diagnose the current complexities of organizational life. So what is really important is to provide them with the tools to first measure what is happening in as precise manner as possible to 
really draw on organizational strength. So it's not just about addressing deficiencies, but also to draw on organizational strength. Absolutely. And then to be able to then bring the tools which enable us to both sort of celebrate the strengths and address what is not as efficient for this particular organization as well. So these diagnostics are really absolutely necessary for practitioners in order to adjust their offer to what is currently happening. Right. I'd be very interested to look at that one, Alona. I think there'll there'll be a a lot of pleasure. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, I also know you have published a number of books in the peer review press papers as well. One of the most popular books that I've certainly recommended over the years is Positive Psychology in a Nutshell, which is a fantastic text that I don't know how many copies you've sold. Plenty, I would say. Plenty, Um, thank you. Have I heard there is another version of that coming out at some point? Is that correct? Yes, I think it's due for an update in terms of positive psychology in a nutshell. I think I'll be working on the next edition rather soon. However, the exciting version coming out is positive psychology at work in a nutshell, which is a book I'm currently working on and due to finalize in the next three months and submit. And this is really about bringing all the knowledge from the field of positive psychology and field of positive organizations together to something which is, again, easy to digest. It's popular, but not too popular because, you know, my writing style, I like it to be very much user-friendly, but I don't like writing in self-help style. (laughs) So it's kind of (laughs) finding that balance between the two, being user-friendly and and open and engaging, but still a little bit critical. I'm hearing you. (laughs) I know. I'm still, even when I think it's uh, not academic. I get feedback saying it it still sounds a little academic, Susie, but you know, I'm like you, I appreciate the science, so I'm not going to be too apologetic for that either. Yes, yes. So yes, this is a book which is going to come out very soon, yes. And I do appreciate your writing as well, because I, I find your writing very engaging, a little bit academic, and it should be so, because positive yeah. psychology is a science, right? Exactly. Coaching is a scientific discipline, and coaching psychology very much so. So I think, why not? <laughs> I'm still, I still stand by this writing style very much so. Absolutely. What are your hopes for the future for positive psychology coaching? It's clearly an evolving field, and perhaps I can let the cat out of the bag, but uh, I think we're going to have an opportunity at the upcoming IPA Congress to run a workshop with our colleagues, Robert Biswas-Diener and Christian Van Nieuwberg. I know in some of our conversations, all of us have slightly different takes on it, but what's your hope for the, for the future or the evolution of the field? I think overall, my hope is to progress from simplistic interventions to more complex systemic interventions. So there is always a danger, I would say, within positive psychology is to suggest something that what your grandmother already told you and yes, keep doing yes. a bit more of the same. That's right. And there is that danger uh, sometimes for the interventions to appear a little bit simplistic. And yes, we know the three good things are absolutely wonderful and this intervention really works, but fundamentally it is very often perceived as something simple, as something relatively simple. And therefore, I think some of the lack of stickability of psychology interventions come from that perception of okay, another kind of little, almost self-help solution, which it is not, of course. Which no. is not. So I think it is about more appropriate, adapted, 
systemic interventions, and also potentially at the moment learning from what is being done in the real world and sometimes post-testing it. Because when I look at different organizational solutions, many organizations are in fact far beyond in their practice with regard to what we know scientifically. So they're already using interventions which seem to be very successful and far more systemic, which are not necessarily tested by the scientists. So they're actually running in front of us. So I think it's also about the field learning from what is working organizations, making sure and testing this intervention, organizational interventions, for example, and bringing together that science and practice into something a bit more complex, a bit more appropriate to, let's say, the actual real challenges for organizational life. So that would be really my hope. Like, just to give you an example, at the moment, there is a sort of new, I would say, sort of subfield of organizational rituals that's getting a lot of traction. So it's about building organizational rituals that seem to work and people rely on. And yet we don't have any research, very, very research. research on organizational rituals, in fact. And this is what organizations are using. So it's about integrating, learning both ways, learning from science, but also learning from practice. And that's something I'm really excited about. And also I'm really excited about the integration between different fields, not so, not just positive psychology, not just organizational psychology, let's say, of course, not just coaching psychology, of course, of yes. course, I have huge <laughs> excitement and, and respect, but also what about experience design, for example? How do we bring all this learning from experience design, user experience or client experience or uh, employee experience and the whole field of experience design again together with our notions of psychology again to suggest something, the interventions which are more personalizable, yes, yes. Uh, more adapted and also more sticky because if we don't work on that stickiness on something that people want to do fundamentally, well, they'll just try out our suggestions and they'll drop them. Exactly. I think that's the beauty and having, as you know, taught at Sydney Uni for 10 years and we had such diverse uh, backgrounds of the students and that's, I'm assuming, is exactly the same at the MAPCP. Absolutely. That you get that, I I guess the term is cross-fertilisation. You have people from very different backgrounds bringing in ideas that's making the evolution very rich and picking up on some of these areas that if you just stayed in your siloed psychology world, you would never be aware of. Absolutely. And it's really, really important to bring these multidisciplinary collaborations together. Absolutely. And yes, we do have very, very diverse group of students and I do really love working with these diverse backgrounds. So it's not about the supremacy of psychology. No. no. <laughs> it is really about the integration of this multidisciplinary backgrounds to address the current issues, the real world issues. So because one of my huge passions is to address the need. What is the need and how can we respond to the need rather than staying on that prescriptive position as we are the scientists and we know better. It's so true, Alona. I love it. It's very exciting, isn't it, to see this evolution happen in front of our eyes. So I could talk to you forever and hopefully I will, well, I'll be seeing you in uh, Vancouver, Absolutely. which I'm very excited about. But thank you so much for sharing 
your knowledge and uh, you're so generous, Alona. And uh, as I said, you've been a, a shining star that I've watched, particularly as a woman, I have to say. It's been wonderful to see a woman lead this field in so many ways. And, um, yeah, it's just been a delight to get to know you over time. So thank you so much again today. Thank you so much, Susie. It's been really delightful to be talking with you, a woman, a strong woman leader yeah. of policy psychology movements in Australia and all around the world in terms of policy psychology coaching. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much, Alona. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Coach Plus, the art and science of positive psychology coaching. If you're new to the field, check out my two co-edited texts, Positive Psychology Coaching in Practice with Professor Stephen Palmer and Positive Psychology Coaching in the Workplace with Wendy Smith and Professor Alona Bonniewell. You might also like to check out our new Academy Plus and use the tab on our website, thepositivityinstitute.com.au, where you can learn more about positive psychology coaching with me. Don't forget to sign up for our free e-news when you're there, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.